in the high desert in the great American Southwest. I'm Art Bell. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unopinion. My name is George Knapp. I'm Richard Serrett. This is Connie Willis. I'm George Norrie. Welcome to Coast to Coast Day. It's great to be here. Welcome to Coast to Coast PM, the number one unofficial Coast to Coast AM podcast. We are a podcast where two brothers analyze the world's largest overnight paranormal radio show known as Coast to Coast AM. My name is Paul, and this is a Patreon special. I always, I feel like I change the intro every time with this, but I'm here with my brother, Chris. Hey guys, let's uh, do some patron stuff. Patron stuff. Thank you for being patrons. We love you. We appreciate you. You are the reason why this is still going because we would not keep going probably if we didn't have patrons so thank you for being you thank you for being you as much as i love doing this podcast with you chris i don't want to like be losing money constantly on it so it's very helpful i've been in you know i enjoy it i wouldn't mind spending a little money on it but it is nice not to yeah it's very very true so thank you for keeping us on the air how you doing chris how's life doing wonderful dude i'm ready to I, I, people don't care Let's get to the good stuff. No banter? No. People, I hate banter. They hate banter. Everyone hates banter. Let's get to the juice. The banter is next. All right, Chris. It's actually one of the reasons why I don't listen to True Anon anymore, because they start with Which 10 banter? minutes of banter, and I can't listen to it anymore. Okay, so one comment, though, on that. We started with banter, uh, I think, our last Patreon episode, and I actually got some messages of people thinking that I screwed up the drop. Because we never banter, and I think it threw everyone off. They, they thought that I like cut it mid episode by right, accident. Right. <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't banter. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. So let's get to Naps News, Chris. Today we're going to do two articles. It's a double double feature. Ooh, double feature like uh, Barbenheimer. Just like Barbenheimer, which I have not seen yet, so no spoilers. Um, and, and this isn't also going to be six hours. Very, very true. I do not think I could do that if it was me. I don't think I could see Barbenheimer, but that's okay. Um, we are going to start with our first one that's a little more trippy, Chris. Uh, from Big Think, in the Red Book, Carl Jung recorded his encounters with entities from quote-unquote inner space. Inner space, dude? What is that? I don't know. So let's find out together. Let's find out Chris. together. In the Red Book. Psychiatrist Carl Jung documented his personal explorations into the depths of his mind through vivid daydreams and visions. Now, uh, Paul, do you know anything about Carl Jung? Uh, almost nothing, Chris. Yeah, Jungian philosophy is really interesting, and it's only really up until recently that I found out that I am a little Jungian in my ideas about how the world works. Oh, Young would really vibe with our theories on mimetic energy. Okay. He he has a big, his kind of big thing is like archetypes. Yeah. And how cultural archetypes kind of manifest themselves within us. Yeah. Okay. So if he is trying to like meditate and go inside himself, we're going to find some trippy stuff because this man was putting out some very interesting fascinating ideas about how the world works i uh, recently read an article that he wrote um in like 1936 about how hitler was the manifestation of 
the German god, the German's version of Loki. Okay. It's pretty interesting. It was pretty fascinating. That's weird. Okay. Well, to the article, Chris. One day, sometime between 1913 and 1917, the Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung followed a wise old man up a rocky ridge until they reached a structure that resembled Stonehenge. At the center of the structure stood an altar. On the altar stood a house. From the doorway emerged a doll-like woman whom Jung recognized as Salome, the stepdaughter of Herod Antipas, Antipas, who danced, who after dancing for him on his birthday, had asked for the severed head of John the Baptist. Whoa, dude. Young is getting insane immediately. That is one of the stranger things that could happen. It's like biblical hallucinations. Like, what are we talking about here? Salome saw Young and began to worship him. When Young asked why she was worshiping him, she replied, you are the Christ. Whoa. As she uttered these words, a black serpent coiled around its uh, <laughs> coiled its body around Young's, completely enveloping his heart. Dude, this is wild. This is not what I was expecting from this, this article. Is what, this is what he was writing down into his daydream journal? Yes. Suddenly it dawned on Young that he had assumed, quote, the attitude of the crucifixion. What is that attitude? He looked at the wise old man, who was in fact the biblical Elijah. Quote, why it's just the same above or below, Elijah, Elijah said. Then Young's face changed into the face of a lion. What is going on here? This is trippy. This is like an LSD dream. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, he, he got very biblical with this. I don't really know what the attitude of the crucifixion means, but I'm assuming it has something to do with um, him now thinking he's Jesus and also battling with evil and Satan. My guess is uh, that's what the serpent is representing here. And very Rastafarian that he turns into a lion. That is, that is pretty cool. Um, having your face turn into a lion is a bit of a vibe. Yeah, very sure. Sphinxian. So, uh, Chris, from the article. The above may sound like a dream, but it wasn't. It was a daydream one Carl Jung experienced as part of what he later referred to as, quote, the most difficult experience of his career. What was difficult about daydreaming? Um, you just had weird thoughts, I guess. In an effort to consciously observe the machinations of his unconscious mind, he spent years conditioning himself to let his imagination run wild. That, I mean, to be fair, incredibly wild daydream. I Do you daydream at all, Chris? I don't know if I do. I feel like I used to. I feel like the daydream has been taken away from us. I th Yeah, I... I have anxiety machinations of like, I have to work or I have these things coming up. Like, I don't think that I ever just sit there and think of fun ideas. Well, in any free time is sit there scrolling on your phone, looking yeah. at Reddit, listening to podcasts. Like, I actually don't think a lot of us just sit and daydream anymore. You're right. I do. I do all those things when I'm we not. We fill all something. of our time and not just sitting there and, I mean, kind of scribbling ideas and stuff. I was actually thinking about that today, reading about uh, the Reconstruction period and how much traveling these people did. I mean, it would take you days to get somewhere. Yeah. And you were just sitting there. And so you had time to think, time to generate thoughts, time to read, time to 
you know, write and like write letters to everyone and, and, and write, you know, soliloquies to whatever it is that you were passionate about. You know, that's a good point too. Cause even with uh, the act of reading, I'm a really slow reader, but I think a big part of it is that I do kind of drift off and then start daydreaming a little bit whenever I am reading. So I do daydream sometimes, I think, but I probably don't read as much as I should. But that's probably a, a big piece of doing those, like like writing a letter or reading, is that it gives you that opportunity to just think whenever you want to versus if you're scrolling or watching TV, it's just like constant stimuli right. and you don't give your brain that chance to just kind of catch up or to to ruminate on what you're experiencing. Well, and probably one of the things that's happening is when you are reading, right, you are kind of shutting out mm -hmm. everything else in the world. And that is one of the few times your mind's like, holy cow, I can kind of drift off. And it happens to be while you're reading, but it's going to take whatever chances it can. It would be really cool, though, if my daydreams were like super biblical and I dreamed that I was Moses, like surrounded by snakes in the desert that I was having to fight off or something. That sounds yeah. pretty cool. I'm trying to be Moses on that burning bush, baby. <laughs> hey! I want to feel that important for once, like being Jesus or Moses. That would be a, yeah. a cool. F yeah, like, I don't know. I wouldn't mind that. I would like to take on the attitude of the crucifixion. I don't know what that means. <laughs> But I've and I, but I know I've never done it. And I know I want it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to feel that. So uh Carl Jung eventually compiled his observations into a red leather manuscript known as the Red Book or New Book, which wouldn't be officially published until 2009. Wow. So it's actually fairly recent in the Jungian canonical texts. It basically just came out. Right. <laughs> relative to his other stuff, I think. Yeah, right? relative to his other stuff. Absolutely. All, all these pictures are black and white, so I just assume he's old. Yes. Despite its relatively... Like I said, he was writing about Hitler in the 30s. Yeah, so pretty. He was already an established psychiatrist, psychologist by this yeah. point. Despite its relatively short lifespan, the Red Book has already established itself as the most controversial and unorthodox text in Jung's entire body of work. And that's to say something. Even more than Sigmund Freud, who was Jung's friend and collaborator before the two had a falling out, Jung's once great, once groundbreaking ideas about the human mind have been heavily scrutinized by modern psychologists, many of whom label Jung's ideas as unverifiable at best and pseudoscientific mysticism at worst. Dude, what do you think that fallout with old Sigmund was about? Do you think he's like, you think Carl went to him and was like, bro, you're doing way too much blow. I, I feel like it had to be cocaine. Related, it had right? to be blow, right? It had or, to be the coke. And the other thing, too, is that drugs really mess with your brain chemistry. So I feel like it makes you more likely to fight with people. So even yeah. if it wasn't specifically about the cocaine, it could have been caused by the cocaine. The cocaine didn't help the situation. Cocaine rarely helps the situation. Sometimes it probably does, but mostly I, doesn't. <laughs> I also imagine that it may have had something to do with how much Freud was focusing on having sex with your mother. I wonder if Jung was like, dude, just stop talking about it all the time. That would make it hard to be friends with Freud is yeah. his singular a, obsession with parental sex. It's because you want to have sex with your mother. I know, Freud, that's your answer to everything. I but can we just... 
maybe go a different tactic this time. The the thing about Freud too, if you haven't read Freud, I've barely read any Freud. I had to for I think when I was in college or something. Um, and I remember getting frustrated with how he ties every single thing back to sex, no matter yeah. what it is. Like there was a fire in some girl's dream, and he's like, Well, fire is the inverse of water, wet, your vagina's wet, you were thinking about sex. Like yeah. that's literally what he did. And yes. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. It's opposite day in your brain. That's what he said. <laughs> and I was so bad. I was like, why how did you make that as- assumption and that leap? It would be frustrating to be his friend. It would. It would. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't like it at all. The man had g- good taste in cigars, though. Th- that He's got that going for him. And also everyone knows his name. So yeah. that helps. And, and Blow. You know, he was probably having a great time. That's true. I mean, he wasn't working at very hard. At least for a while. At least for <laughs> a while. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was having a good time. Can you just uh, imagine back in the day where all of those drugs were just fine to use like no one had problems flowing freely everywhere dude and they're all just hanging out in vienna austria Mm -hmm. there was like 15 famous people all in austria at the same time before they were famous you know it would have been like nashville in the early 2000s yeah, or like, you know, even, um, you know, Hemingway's books, I always feel like are so fun, where just all these famous people before they were famous just getting hammered together in Paris. Like, that just yeah, seems exactly. like a good time. Exactly. They don't care. Yeah, Expats, and they all life, become like, you know, known quantities in the culture. Yeah. Now, granted, most of the people in Vienna at the time were bad, bad men mm-hmm. who end up doing terrible things. But still kind of interesting that they're all there. It is interesting that they're all there. Um, I just want to get drunk in Europe, I think is what I'm getting at here. It's fun. It's It's a good time. Carl Jung, in his defense, openly admitted that he resorted to unscientific means, the combined realms of literature, mythology, and theology, in an attempt to explain what reason and technology could not. Keep going. Keep going. Although the Red Book shouldn't be confused with academic studies containing quantifiable data, there is a method to Young's madness, one that makes sense when placed in the broader context of his theories about archetypes and the psychological dimension of organized religion. Oh, dude. I may have to take a look at this book. It sounds interesting. I mean, honestly, I kind of want to read it just to see his um, crucifixion uh, stories. It sounds fun. And also, to- like, I want to know how was he interpreting the Bible? Like, this guy had some absolutely fascinating thoughts about not just the makeup of the individual person, Mm -hmm. but how the like collective thought process works on societies. Yeah. So it wasn't just about the individual. He was like coming up with archetypes to describe how nations worked. Yeah. Yeah. And that's crazy, dude. Like, how does that guy interpret the Bible? That would be interesting to to find that out because I'm not, like I said, I, I know almost nothing about Jung. I knew he was a psychiatrist and that's pretty much it. To understand Carl Jung's Red Book's observations, you must first understand his concept of the collective unconscious. Unlike many other Western thinkers who presume the mind of a newborn baby is like a blank slate, Jung believed that this slate comes imprinted with a rough sketch, a universal layer that is inherited as a product of the human evolution, not developed through personal experience. Let's go, Carl Jung! You have been listening to a teaser of our patrons-only episode. If you want to hear the full hour of this episode, you can go to patreon.com 
slash coast to coast PM. Link is in the show notes. You can sign up for as little as $2 a month and your support keeps us going. It keeps us on the air. It keeps us ad free. I hate ads. You hate ads. We all hate ads. I don't want to have to put them on to pay the bills, but our patrons make sure that we don't do that. So please go support us there. $2 a month. That's all you got to drop us and you can hear the whole thing in all seven of our patrons only episodes as well. We're trying to do at least two to three per month moving forward. So that's what you can expect for $2. It's like less than a dollar per episode is what we're planning. Um, so thank you for listening. If you don't got a few bones, throw our way. Totally cool. We'll be back next week with more content on our public feed.